Our text this morning, as we hear from the living God and his word, is Hebrews 11, verse 31. And in conjunction with that, Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 24, and Joshua chapter 6, verses 21 to 25. Which means that this morning we've actually come to the last of the catalog of faithful examples that the pastor more methodically moves through in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with Abel in verse 4. Next week, we turn our attention to the conclusion of this great chapter, where due to time constraints, that is, the pastor writing Hebrews' own time constraints, not mine, we have what is a greatly accelerated survey of faith and its fruit in the eras of Israel's judges, kings, and exile, before then turning in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, to the pinnacle example of Jesus Christ, which will be our focus in two weeks' time. But this morning, our focus remains on Rahab. She is one of only two women, along with Sarah, mentioned thus far in Hebrews 11. The context of Rahab's faithful example returns us to where we were last week. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 said, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And so last week we considered the faith of Joshua and his people as they followed God's instructions, trusting in God's power to bring about the destruction of Jericho. But to tell that story only with reference to Joshua and the people of Israel would be incomplete. For as anyone who has read the account in Joshua knows, not all the faith that day was found outside the city. There was also faith inside, in perhaps the most unlikely of figures, Rahab, a Canaanite female prostitute and a citizen of the condemned city of Jericho. It is her story we focus on today. As we do so, I propose to consider it in two parts. First, using the account of Rahab found in Joshua, we'll talk about the response of faith. And then secondly, we'll talk about the reward of faith. The response of faith and the reward of faith. It's a simple outline, and you can see where I'm getting it from in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. The pastor writes, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The pastor there focuses first on the reward of faith. She did not perish with those who were disobedient. And then on the response of faith that preceded it, she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. We'll simply reverse the pastor's order and spend, in fact, most of our time on Rahab's response of faith, which is, of course, the reason why she would receive the reward of faith, salvation, from the judgment of the Lord. 
We begin then with the response of faith. Only you might be asking, where's this response you mention? That's not in Hebrews 11:31, at least not evidently, and you're right. All the pastor says is that Rahab gave a friendly welcome to the spies. But as usual, the pastor has an Old Testament text in view when he discusses Rahab's example of faith. And in that text, in Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 24, what we see is that Rahab's faith, displayed in her treatment of the spies, was in response to something. It was in response to what she had heard about the God of Israel. And if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn over there to Joshua chapter 2 as we consider that text at some length together. As Joshua chapter 2 opens, Israel has yet to cross over the Jordan, but Joshua already knows that when they do so, the first order of business will be Jericho. And so it's perfectly sensical of him to do what verse 1 says he does. Joshua sends in a pair of spies. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Only there's a lot not spelled out very explicitly in that verse. It seems likely that the spies went to Rahab's house because, in fact, it was something perhaps more like an inn or a tavern of some kind. It was likely the normal place for traveling merchants to find lodging in the town. That seems to be the point. Yes, Rahab was a prostitute. As the Joshua text says, and the pastor writing Hebrews explicitly states, but it's possible she was something like an innkeeper in conjunction with that. And at any rate, the point here is that the two spies head for Rahab's house, probably because they reasoned that was a good way not to raise too much suspicion after just entering the town. Only, it seems perhaps that these two were not the most skilled at spying because one night into town and they've already been found out. We don't know how. Verse 2 says, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Which is another verse with some important information for us because notice how much is already known by the inhabitants of Jericho here. They know who the people of Israel are, for starters. And not only that, they know Israel has designs on the land, right? This brief report to the king of Jericho says it all. Men of Israel have come to search out the land. It seems that this king and the people of his city were expecting this. We read on verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, 
Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. And notice there that the king does not tell Rahab the men were from Israel, though he knows that. He simply explains that enemy spies are inside Jericho, that they're in her house, in fact, and that she needs to turn them over. Clearly, the king of Jericho is not suspicious of Rahab. And at this point, we as readers of the text don't have any reason to think he should have been. But once again, there's a lot that hasn't been spelled out yet. Because the narrator tells us in verse 4 that the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Which is supposed to be a shocker, right? This Canaanite prostitute woman inside Jericho hid the Israelite spies? Why? What did they say to her? What, how did she find out or discern who they were? And what in the world would have motivated her to hide them, knowing full well, as she must have known, the risk doing so would bring on her and her family? We know none of that yet. We never do learn about the initial interaction the spies have with Rahab or how exactly she perceives who they are. Which means that we're then floored when we read what comes next in the middle of verse 4. Rahab says to the king, or probably to the king's soldiers, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from, where they were from, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. We already know she's lying. Verse 4 told us she'd hidden them. But just in case there's any question about what that meant, the flashback the narrator provides in verse 6 spells it out. The narrator says, but she had brought them to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Rahab was risking everything here. And it worked. No one suspected this of her. And so we read in verse 7, so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, meaning that probably they went out on horseback, thinking that the spies would be on foot and could be easily overtaken. And then the end of verse 7, the narrator tells us the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. And I just want us to pause and to appreciate here the skill of the author of Joshua. Because many of us know this story already, so it's a little harder to appreciate this. But imagine you are reading Joshua for the first time. The Lord has made huge promises to Joshua in chapter 1. The people have rallied around Joshua's leadership under the Lord. 
The Jordan River and Jericho are on the horizon and you come to chapter 2 and Joshua sends the spies and the point is you're not expecting this. Right? I mean, who's Rahab? Of all people. The spies didn't know who she was before they show up at her house. They just did what made sense trying to avoid notice. They didn't know they'd even been seen, but they had been, and they're as good as dead. And yet Rahab seems to grasp the danger they're in and acts. She acts before the soldiers even turn up at her door. I mean, what do you figure could be running through the minds of those two Israelite spies when Rahab, upon somehow realizing who they were, urgently hides them before they even know they need to be hidden? What's the Lord up to here? Must be at least partly what they're thinking. And then the soldiers show up and she tells them the men have left, that the soldiers then believe her and take off. Only now the gate's been slammed shut and the spies are stuck inside. And so by verse 7, notice how the author of Joshua has us asking about two questions. Number one, why did Rahab do what she did? And number two, how are the spies going to get out of Jericho now? And of course, you see the point of Hebrews 11 verse 31 centers on the first of those two questions. Why did Rahab do what she did? But what I want you to see for a moment is that that is also the emphasis of Joshua chapter 2. Because look here at the narrative structure. Verse 7 ends with the gate being shut as the spies are inside the city. And we have no idea how they're going to make it out. And in fact, it's not until verse 15 that that suspense is resolved. Do you see that? It's not until verse 15 in the text that we read, Then she, Rahab, let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. Well, the narrator hadn't told us that before. And that she lived in the wall. Now, if the narrator had just wanted to keep the story moving, all he really needed to do was go from verse 7 right to verse 15. But that's not how it's written. Because the deliverance of the spies here isn't the main point. The point of Joshua 2 is in verses 8 to 14, and that's all about Rahab's response of faith. At this point, we as readers do not know why Rahab acted for the spies. But they knew now, at least as I read it, because I think verse 8 is another flashback, though it's not entirely clear, but I think verse 8 is another flashback to the point when Rahab hid them on the roof. Because verse 8 says, Before the men lay down, that is, I think, before they lay down to be hidden by the, 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 the flax stalks. Before the men lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof and said to the men, 
I know. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Verse 10, watch this. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above, and on the earth beneath. And what you have there is the response of Rahab's faith. And I want to spend some time now thinking about those verses with you so that we see this and its significance as clearly as we can. What we have here is Rahab's conviction in verse 9 followed in verse 10 by the cause of that conviction before we then return to Rahab's conviction in the very end of verse 11. It's conviction, the cause of her conviction, and the, and the conclusion of her conviction at the end of 11. Her conviction is clear. Somehow, she'd found out these men were from Israel. She sent them up to the roof, and before they lay down, she tells them in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, Lord there is in all capital letters because Rahab uses the name of Yahweh. She uses the covenant name of Israel's God. And she says, the Lord has given you the land. Only let's remember that Israel hasn't even crossed the Jordan yet. And Rahab knows what's going to happen. How does she know? Well, it's because of verse 10. It's because of what she and her fellow citizens have heard, brothers and sisters, concerning Israel's exodus from Egypt, now over 40 years ago, mind you. The miraculous crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of Sihon and Og. Notice how in verse 9, Rahab uses the first person pronoun I in describing her own conviction. But then in verse 10, Rahab shifts to the first person plural pronoun we when she describes what was heard. You see that? And the point is that the we in verses 10 and 11, at least the first part of verse 11, the we included all or essentially all the inhabitants of Jericho. Word had gotten around. The citizens of Jericho knew what had happened to Israel from the Exodus to that day, and they knew about Sihon and Og as well. And what was the corporate response when they heard that? Our hearts melted, she says. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. Universally, the response to hearing what had happened was fear. 
the fear of Israel's God had fallen on the inhabitants of Jericho. And of course, what tremendous news this would have been to the spies. But the critical thing I want to focus on here is the response then to that news. What happens to that fear? Because as this truth of who the Lord is and what the Lord has done for his people penetrated Jericho, we realized two reactions were possible. There would either be faith in the greatness of the Lord and a casting of oneself on the Lord's mercy. Or there would be a determination to resist the Lord. To resist God's supremacy, to challenge God's will, and to continue to fight against God's purposes. And what we realize is that in the former category of submissive faith is Rahab. And in the latter category of rebellious resistance are all the other inhabitants of Jericho. Rahab's response is one of robust faith, is it not? Here's how one author frames it, quote, At that moment, there seemed not one chance in a million that the children of Israel could capture Jericho. Those nomads from the desert had no artillery and no siege engines, yet Rahab believed and staked her whole future on the belief that God would make the impossible possible. Having heard the account of the Exodus, Rahab drew the correct conclusion, and it's right there at the end of verse 11. Speaking once again concerning herself and her conviction at the end of verse 11, she says, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And you and I may not hear the significance of that, but what Rahab says there is exactly what Israel herself was supposed to learn from the Exodus. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 37 to 39. Moses there is speaking to the people of Israel, and he's recounting the acts of God in their history and what they mean. And in verse 37 of Deuteronomy 4, he's talking about the Exodus, and Moses says this, And because the Lord loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Do you hear it? That's the connection. Because what does Rahab conclude, having heard the account of the Exodus and what followed? Joshua 2, verse 11. For the Lord your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. 
In other words, she got it. When Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, heard of the mighty acts of God in Israel's history, she saw what it meant. That Israel's God was the only God, and that Israel's God therefore possessed all authority and power over the whole of creation. Rahab held to the utter supremacy of Yahweh. And if that's true, then no matter what now the perceived weakness of the people of Israel may be, whereas at one point all the hearts of Jericho had melted for fear of Israel, at this stage now they know Israel's true weakness. But for Rahab, if what she believes about Yahweh is true, then of course whatever promises God has made to his people are going to come to pass. I know that the Lord has given you the land, she says, before they've even entered it. And not only does she recognize what God has promised his people will come to pass, she realizes her only hope is to be part of that people too. And so in verses 12 to 14, Rahab casts herself on the mercy of the Lord. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you and you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. This would not be the response of the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho. Though they had heard the same things Rahab did, where Rahab showed submissive faith, the rest of Jericho responds in rebellious resistance. Joshua chapter 6 verse 1 says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in, and in the end all would perish, save Rahab and her family. Did you notice how the pastor describes the rest of the citizens of Jericho in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31? He says they were disobedient. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, the pastor says. Well, what was the nature of their disobedience exactly in contrast to Rahab? Did that, I don't know if that thought crossed your mind. I think that the key here lies in the fact that they had received the word of God just as she had, that they too had heard about all that God had done for his people, and yet their response was not one of obedience to the God revealed in that word. You see, it was the opposite. Whereas Rahab gave a friendly welcome to the spies, as the pastor puts it, but literally, the pastor says there that she welcomed the spies with peace. Perhaps meaning shalom, perhaps meaning the standard greeting of the people of God. She welcomed them, whereas that was Rahab's response. The rest of Jericho walled themselves off on account of the people of Israel, 
and against Israel's God. Their unbelieving defiance showed itself in their shutting up of the city in the expectation that it would prove impregnable to any assault, only as we saw last week. They were wrong. Because they did not believe in God's power, and their disbelief would result in their destruction. Brothers and sisters, the basis of Rahab's faith was her hearing about the mighty acts of God. So let me make a very simple point here. This is the normal way of coming to faith, dear friends. Faith grows, if at all, out of hearing what God has done and what God has done for his people. And we may tend to lose sight of that, but let's not. Faith comes to us and to others in response to God's word. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The word of Christ, Paul says. More than anything else, what we must hear and what we must say so others can hear it is the declaration of the mighty acts of God, meaning his acts in Israel's history, yes. But now, most importantly, most fundamentally, as that history has come to its climax in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we must hear and say to others is the word of Christ, a word that finds its anchor always in history. The Rahabs of the world will only come to faith in response to hearing that word. And once confronted with the mighty acts of God in Christ, of course, we know the responses will be the same. There will either be submission in faith or rebellious resistance. Rahab's was the response of faith. As one author puts it, Rahab has no other explanation for the astonishing event of the Exodus and all that flowed from it even though she seems a most unlikely candidate to come to faith in Israel's God and appears to stand entirely alone among her fellow citizens in Jericho. The sheer historical force of what God has done and what he will yet do generates within her the faith that is prepared to risk her life in order to save it and the lives of her family. She is prepared to cut herself off from her background, to risk being charged as a traitor, and to do everything she can to help the spies because of her new faith allegiance to the only true and living God. What a fitting culmination she is to the catalog of faith in Hebrews 11. And what a surprise. But the truth is, you and I can never tell where faith will be found. The response of faith does not depend on where someone lives, 
or who someone is or who that someone has been in the past or what others think of him or her. As one commentator puts it, one does not come to one does not become or persevere as a part of God's people because of previous merit or birth. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 21, verses 31 and 32, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. We do not know and cannot predict where the Lord has been at work. And part of the point here is that if God can rescue a Rahab, then no one is beyond his reach or his concern. Rahab's example tells us there is hope for people where we would never dream of it. Despite her background in Canaan's pagan religions, this Gentile woman's faith in the living God was robust. You and I must not categorize our as yet unbelieving family, friends, or acquaintances according to how unlikely we think it is that they will respond to the good news of God's grace. Because God works behind the scenes. Rahab believed. And according to the pastor writing Hebrews, her faith was outwardly expressed as genuine faith always is in the welcome of the spies. pastor's attestation is backed up elsewhere in the New Testament. In James chapter 2, verse 21, we read, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Only, do you know who the other second example of such faith is in the epistle of James? It's Rahab. James chapter 2, verse 25, And in the same way as Abraham, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? True faith is seen, brothers and sisters, and Rahab's was the real deal. Which leaves us then to comment on the reward of faith only very briefly now as we end this morning. That reward is, of course, what the pastor references in Hebrews 11, verse 31a. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish. Faithful Joshua himself saw to that. Here again, listen to select parts of Joshua 6, verses 22 and following. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city of Jericho with fire. 
and everything in it. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Because of her faith in Yahweh as the true and living God, Rahab and all who belonged to her, and I take that to mean those of her family came to the same stance of faith as she did, but we could unpack that language another time. All who belonged to her were saved alive and brought into the company of Israel. Their being placed outside the camp, as Joshua mentioned, is an only a temporary matter due to their ritual impurity. They were foreigners, but through faith, Rahab and her family were accepted into the company of Israel to enjoy the privileges and blessings from which formerly they had been excluded. Indeed, through her, Israel already had an initial presence in the land. Rahab no longer stood under Yahweh's judgment, brothers and sisters. Quite the opposite. She, the Canaanite prostitute, along with those who belonged to her, would be numbered among the children of Abraham, who by faith would inherit the promises. And of course, that's not all. For such were the long-term effects of Rahab's faith that even though the book of Joshua was likely written generations later, the family of Rahab would not be forgotten. Joshua 6 verse 25 says, And she has lived in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And you may know that even that's not all. For by the grace of God, once incorporated into the people of God, Rahab's would be an honored place in the line that would lead to the birth of Jesus Christ. According to the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew's gospel in Matthew 1 verses 4 to 6, Rahab married Solomon of Judah. And Rahab became the mother of Boaz, who in turn also married an alien woman, Ruth, the Moabitess. And Ruth became the mother of Obed, who was King David's grandfather. The account of Rahab is one of the great salvation stories of the scriptures. Who would ever have imagined it all on the night Joshua sent his two spies into the promised land? Well, Joshua wouldn't have. Certainly the spies themselves didn't. And probably not Rahab either. But brothers and sisters, we must have confidence in the mercy and grace of God in the gospel of his saving acts by his word through his spirit. God is still today rescuing Rahab's and their families because God had a plan and by faith 
Rahab would be part of it. Are you? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.